All right, yeah, good morning. Two more weeks, and I'll be on the road to Minnesota. And yes, believe me, if it wasn't God, it, I had many a conversation with him about this one. I did grow up in Minnesota and spent a lot of time there. And uh, I, um, I cannot tell you how challenging some of the things are uh, for me, at least in that state, none, uh, the least of which is the weather. If you've ever spent a, a winter in Minnesota, it's, it's really not for the faint of heart. It's actually not for anyone. I just, I don't believe it's for anyone. But, but anyway, that is where the Lord has directed me. And I signed a one-year lease, and so I'll be there for at least a year. Um, I will say this. I will be here, though, on Zoom as often as possible, and I will be coming to visit, and, um, and I look forward to returning to Colorado because the mountains are in my heart, and they've always been in my heart since I was a kid, and I, I'm taking this as a divine assignment because there's no other way to take it, um, and I'm already planning my return, you know, so while cooperating with the Lord. So anyway, there's a little personal news. Uh, just uh, one other news item I thought was noteworthy before we begin was something I, I read this week. And that is apparently the Pope, Pope Francis, has changed by papal decree the Lord's Prayer. And quite frankly, I couldn't be more on board. It's a wonderful thing. He, where is it? Matthew 6? Well, wherever the Lord's Prayer is. Sorry, I, I know I should know that. Um, the, the verse that says, lead us not into temptation. Uh, he has changed to do not let us fall into temptation. And I like that. I've never been comfortable with the lead us not into temptation because of its implications. As a matter of fact, that contradicts what it says in James 1, which says, let no one say when he is tempted, he is tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone with evil. And uh, Francis's uh, uh, stated reason for doing this was in the... the uh, prayer was originally written in Aramaic, and he believes that when it was transferred into Greek, it was actually mistranslated, and so he was rectifying that. And so I thought that was very interesting. That's a little something that we uh, can celebrate with our Catholic brothers and sisters. So anyway, um, let's pray real quick. I know we're all hopefully open and ready to go here with the Lord, but I would like to pray. God, we thank you for this time. And more than anything else, I'm just going to say amen to that. 
Okay, so I want to start by telling you about four young men that I recently met. As you know, I, I do a reasonable amount of street ministry. And recently I met Steve, oh, come on, uh, Steve, Alex, Ann, who's identifying as Ann, but is transsexual, and Leo, uh, young men and women um, who were on a street corner downtown Colorado Springs, and I was walking around praying, and the Lord led me to them, and I began a conversation with them. And right from the get-go, I knew it would be special. And um, they were they were receptive. They were in good spirits. A lot of times on the streets, especially when I run into groups of people, especially if they're older, like men in groups say, and I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but I've had enough experience to tell you that, that I can run into some significant hostility, even aggression. But these men were uh, relatively of clear mind and, and in a good mood, and I was walking uh, toward them, and I was wearing a heart t-shirt, uh, the band heart, as in Anne and Nancy Wilson's band, and, and Steve said to me, hey, I, heart, I love heart. And I stepped up to him. We started talking about music, and and um, and then uh, he asked me about my dog, and I said, "Oh, this is Talia," and and um, and he wanted to know if he could pet her. And I said, "Well, you can try, but she's shy. She's a she's a rescue from Mex Mexico. She was a street dog in Mexico, and I scooped her up and brought her back to Colorado, and that." tripped off a conversation. Now, standing next to Steve was Alex. And Alex was an interesting young man. He apparently had thrown himself fully into, and I don't know the terminology for it, but kind of like body transformation, extreme piercings and like alterations. I kid you not, he had like, his earlobes like touched his, his shoulders. He had like cut him and stretched him and had like these big uh, rocks or something in there. And, and so on the surface, you know, he might be a bit off-putting. Um, and that, but um, both, especially uh, Alex and, and Steve, t uh, took to Talea took to and her story. And of course, they're homeless themselves living on the streets. And the compassion they started to exhibit toward her was, was remarkable. And especially Alex, he, he really got into um, essentially, or he apparently felt the need to coach me on what she was going through and how I needed to protect her and, and watch over her and not let people come near her or harm her or, or be too aggressive with her. And, and he talked about his experience training dogs and how he loved dogs. And um, as he started to go, I felt the Spirit of God come on this conversation in a very unique way. And as they began to engage with me and we kind of engaged on this topic of, of, of how to you know, nurture a, a dog back to... Um, a healthy existence, I recognized that 
as they were doing that, um, they were coming out of their, for lack of a better term, street shells. And for whatever reason, in that moment, they felt safe and encouraged to the point of being vulnerable and, um, and really expressive. And then I realized it was simply because I was listening to them. And I could feel like the cry of their heart to be heard, for lack of a better term. And of course, it then occurred to me that, uh, as is with, as with most people who I've encountered on the streets, they've come from backgrounds, from families that almost all the time were abusive. And in that abuse, one of the things that was taken from them was, was their identity, was the validity of their existence. They were never heard. They were never given a voice. And if they were given a voice and they, were, they did speak something, it was usually mocked or shot down or ridiculed or, or silenced. And that is extraordinarily stunting. It's... it's um, it's, it's death to the soul, especially the soul of a child. Children, of course, need to be nurtured and, and, and given place to speak and, and, and uh, given the opportunity to recognize that they are valued. It's part of, it's part of coming al uh, into the, the recognition of one's own identity. And so as, as these young men and and uh, I'm not even sure, and the woman uh, were speaking, I recognized, and as I engaged with them, that they all were taking turns in their own way, sharing with me things that they wanted to express, but things that went beyond what they were expressing. They just were simply, in that moment in time, expressing a cry of their heart, if you will, to be recognized as valued. And it was wonderful, and it was precious. And at one point, and, and uh, Steve, he was the most animated, and he was definitely the most buzzed, um, but he was still mostly coherent. Um, at one point, he just stopped and he said, Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Okay? Well, all right. There's more in there than, than maybe I'd even expected. And I said, well, that's, you know, Matt, that's uh, Mark 11, 23. That's, you know, do you know the word? I said, do you know the verse that comes after that? And he said, no. And I said, well, what comes after that is whatever things, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So could I pray for you? Is there anything that I could pray for you? Nice little setup from the Lord there, right? So uh, Steve says, and this is a hard story to get through. He says, I just want to help people. Which all I ask, now here's a guy, you know, hasn't bathed in weeks, maybe months, 
all his possessions he's wearing, and, and he, with the, the most sincere of heart, says, I, I just want to help people. I, I, that's all I want to do. I thought, good Lord. You know, <laughs> from the mouth of the homeless, right? Um, and uh, so we, we, we prayed about that. And I, I went and prayed with each one of them. And as I, we talked a little more and I, and I moved on. As, and as I walked away, I was struck by um, each one's cry for identity. You know, for Steve, his desire to, to find himself in service to others. And, you know, with Alex, um, he, just, he just wanted to be recognized and loved. And in Anne, you know, Anne was, you talk about a person in search of identity. Here's this young man slash woman living on the streets, going through this whole uh, ultimate identity crisis, I guess you could say, the ultimate identity crisis. And you know, I'll tell you something I read that's, that's I won't get too far off in this, but it's, it's something that I think it's, worth being aware of in terms of praying for, for transsexuals. Do you know that the, the suicide rate for transsexuals is 20 times higher than that of the ad, average populace? 20 times. It's, it's so high that by like uh, American Psychiatric Association definitions, it actually goes into the area of, I know, I'm not going to say this right, so, uh, but I, I want to be as accurate as I can, where it's actually defined as, as like a psychosis. Um, it's beyond like normal, you know, people in different, with different dynamics in their lives, uh, social upbringings, circumstances, hardships. Um, you know, pe- there's certain groups that tend to have higher, higher suicide rates. But that rate is so high that it's actually beyond, it's out of like the normal categories that are normally used to evaluate people at risk for suicide. It's, it's, it's simply just considered astronomical and catastrophic. And of course, we know the enemy likes to get into those kinds of situations and, and, and you know, propel it if possible to bring about, you know, to bring death to these people. So... You feel so led, you can certainly pray for Anne. And then there was Leo. He'd been quiet most of the time and, and praying for him. He just, he just looked at me and said, I just, I just want a safe place to live. I just, I just want a roof over my head. I just want some place to be safe. There we go. So anyway, I, I walked away and it got me thinking about identity and, and how people cry out for their, their real self. And then it got me thinking about our populace at large and the times in which we live, and, and how maybe more than ever, at least maybe I'm more aware of it than ever, there seems to be a, a cry for people, from people, for, for connection, and, and, and a sense of self, and, and a sense of, of where you know, we fit in this culture, and in this society, and in the world at large. Um, identity is, is something that that in many ways we have thrust upon us from birth. And there's many, many ways we can identify. I mean, you know, all, we all identify, obviously, as human, 
but then it, it breaks down from there and and it you know it, it starts to involve you know where we were raised our socioeconomic standing our our education level um, our ethnicity um, uh, you know just then it even kind of subdivides from there you know people identify politically I'm a Republican I'm a Democrat I'm a libertarian or you know I'm really into skiing, or I'm you know, really into knitting, or you know, I love horses, and you know, whatever it may be. Um, but, and actually, we even now have identity politics. I mean, there's, that's literally a term, identity politics. And, and, and that's how um, specific a lot of this has become, and and in a sense, separated we've become as we choose to identify in more specific ways. But I think a lot of that has come at a tremendous cost, not knowing our true identity, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. And, and we see that in, in the kind of the, the, the general sorrow and malaise and, and depression and, and, and anger of society at large. I read, I read a study, it just came out a couple of months ago, and this was staggering to me. Um, exhaustive study, and it was about loneliness. And the study found that 46, God, I wonder if, when I get this right. Oh, yeah, okay. 46% of Americans say they sometimes or always, get this, always, 46% of Americans sometimes or always feel alone. And 20%, that's one in five, say they rarely or never feel close to anyone. Those are staggering numbers. In a populace of 330 million or whatever it is, that means we have tens of millions of people getting up every single day, going about daily life, living in a place of complete disconnection from humanity around them. Tens of millions of people living in the sorrow of that, in the sadness of that, and in the depression of that. It's absolutely staggering. And, and this, uh, the study went on to say that, that the force of loneliness is so great that it actually affects mortality. They say that it's, it's more destructive to be lonely than to be obese. That being lonely is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It leads to much higher rates of high blood pressure, heart disease, uh, inflammation, and dementia. It's staggering. People, until they know themselves in Christ and can live from that place, will be broken apart in pieces as they look for identity elsewhere. Because there's only one source of true identity. Do you know on Facebook right now, there are 58 ways to identify yourself um, sexually, I guess it is. I don't, I don't know the term, how they, how they use the term. 58 ways to identify yourself sexually. There's agender, bigender, cisgender, 
transgender, intersex, intersex, binary, non-binary. It goes on and on and on. I mean, what does that say about our populace and our culture at large? It's staggering. And the thing that gets to me is it, is it seems that in the majority of people's lives, they're searching externally, which already exists internally. And so to, to kind of put a, what I believe an accurate definition on identity, I think we need, of course, to look to the Lord. I mean, who is the only being who's never had an identity crisis? Right? Who's the only being that knows perfect relationship, knows perfect love. Jesus does not sit on the throne next to the Father and, 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 and ponder his, his insecurities and his value. Okay? So let's talk about the identity of God real quick. And by that I mean, you know, who is, you know, who is God? You know, he, I don't, by this I mean like his, his entity, his, his essence, his, you know, his, his composition, his substance. Well, he identifies, God, that's such an odd, you know, now that's such a popular term. He identifies as, God identifies as many things. It, Larry was talking about this last week. He, God identifies as, as light and spirit and fire. And of course, we know him as, you know, our healer and our righteousness and our peace. But the primary way I believe God self-identifies is as love. And so we can take that and say, in identifying who God is, God is love. And I think the other component we have to to, to a meld to that in terms of God's identity is, is what he does. And by that I'm referring to the, the, the expression of that love. You know, what, what, is the, what is God's like intrinsic, take care Chris, God's intrinsic, visceral way of expressing love? You know, what how is, how is that made most manifest? I mean, of course, his love is multidimensional. It's infinitely dimensional. But there does seem to be a specific or a primary way that that is directed from God. And that, I would argue, is, is the desire for relationship. And so I would say that love... God, you know, in God we have love, and then love's desire, which is relationship. And it, I believe that is the ultimate definition of God. And from that I would ask us to consider that Scripture makes clear that we've been created in God's image. So if we want to look for a baseline definition of identity, maybe we should start there. And I would propose, now think about this for a moment. This may, on one hand, seem, what I'm, you know, 
we'll share momentarily. This may seem maybe simplistic, but I promise you, if you ponder this a little, it will not uh, be simplistic. If God is love, and the ultimate expression of that love is relationship, and we are created in his image, then ultimately, are we not love at the core of our being? And isn't our ultimate expression of that relationship? I believe that's the case. I really, really do. And the question is, what do we do about that? What does that mean for our lives? What does that look like? We live in a very busy world, and we feel a lot of responsibility and obligations. And it's hard to fathom that, that our greatest priority getting up every morning should be to recognize that we are love, that we are to have an ongoing, intimate, active, expressive relationship with the God who loves us, that we are to give that out to others, and that more than anything else on this planet, anything else on this planet, for now, and I would argue through eternity, the reason for existence is to know the, the sublime blessing of love and its manifestation. I mean, in a sense, it seems kind of hippie-ish, for lack of a better term, or almost irresponsible. You know, what about evangelism and social justice and service to others and studying the Bible and all these things. But that brings me to the, the thought or the question of, and I, you know what, I, I just want to make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself. Um, no, I guess I'm not. I guess, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm always off my notes, but sometimes I get closer than others. Um, What do we do when we, recognized, when we recognize that more than anything else, we're called to a life that, by definition, has love as its life source, as, as something that defines our existence, and is something that is supposed to touch every aspect of our daily being? I mean, I spent decades, even after I'd come into relationship with the Lord, I, I spent most of my life not loving myself, loving some other people, and certainly having no, no understanding of the love of God or his love for me. As a matter of fact, even when I came into the things of God and had... Been, had thrown myself into uh, Christian family and ministry and or Bible school and everything else, it, 
it, a couple years had gone by until I had the revelation that I had no personal belief in God's love for me. None whatsoever. Well, what do you think that did for my identity? And I had to go on a, a personal quest, if you will, to, to write this gross imbalance and lack of truth in my life. If our identity is this, this identity of love, and it's something that we have not personalized, let alone brought to the forefront of our very existence, where are we at in our identities? Where are we at with the truth of what life is supposed to be? We live in a society where we're defined by activity and the need, to, you know, society tells us you've got to work, you've got to obtain. Identity is found in what you're doing and what you're obtaining, your, your possessions, whatever, you know, what status you can, you can realize. It's just not the way it works in the kingdom of God. I mean, what do we think is going to happen you know what? Actually, let me stop right there. Let me stop right there because I'd like to get some input on this. So I've put forth the idea that at the core of our being, our identity, our purpose for existence, <laughs> you know, it was, I'll give you a great quote. C.S. Lewis said, God, who needs nothing, loves into existence holy, superfluous creatures in order that he may love and mature them. Okay? I think that's an amazing quote. And it reflects the heart of God. So when I say, when I put forth the idea that, that our ultimate identity is that we are love created in God's image and that that the ultimate expression of that is relationship, I'm open to, to get some input on that. Any, anyone have any thoughts on that? If you think there's a greater identity than that, I, I'm, believe me, talk to me. I'm completely open. Anyone have any ideas? Counter, I mean, is, you know. I mean, I'm sharing what I believe to be true. And if there's something I'm missing, I'm like, you know, one thing I love about Larry is the guy is like the most humble person on the planet. And he's like, he'll say, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. If you've got another idea, talk to me. Let me know. So are we in agreement? T t at least tacitly somewhat? Okay. Any Zoomers uh, grinding their teeth and wringing their hands because they think I've lost my mind or... Riley, we have anyone who wants to shout me down? Jeremy, you uh, guess what? Hey, good morning. See? You jump right in. Hey, I, I you know, you know Paul, Paul, I'm just, I don't know that I, I ever put, put it together that, that uh, God, God is love. love. You know, a fairly common thing that we've, especially in this church, heard, but even in and, you know, our previous history, you know, we, we've heard that expression, but 
what I heard you just say is is that uh, we are love, and so making that that connection um, is that kind of what you were trying to uh, suggest there is is as God is love, we are too. Absolutely, absolutely. It's certainly not something we ponder a lot, and I can say at least for me, I haven't gotten up every day of my life in the recognition of that and tried to allow the force of that to to you know, influence and, and reflect part of my being. Although I will tell you this, that is changing. That absolutely is changing as, as I grow in this. You know, part of the problem is we don't have a grid for this. Let's just talk about eternity for a moment. You know, what do we think eternity is about, really? I mean, at the core, you know, eternity is a long time. So there's got to be something going on there, right? Or else we're going to really wonder what this is all about. Okay? What is eternity at its core about? Yeah, okay, so, you know, we can walk some streets of gold and, you know, be in the presence of the Lord. Especially that latter thing I'm in no way minimizing. Um, Of course, that's what it's all about. But, I mean, what is the... What is in eternity, you know, we, I hope we all imagine that, that eternity is a place of extraordinary joy, extraordinary peace, extraordinary fellowship. I mean, it's, it's the fullness of being. It's, it's, it's us alive in ways we've never imagined, right? I mean, there's, and there's, there's never at any time a fear of, of you know, of, insufficiency or violence or, or lack or sorrow, right? I mean, it's, you know, we, we think of, hopefully we think of eternity as, as, you know, the bliss train, right? I mean, it's just one big, extraordinary, ultimate expression of, our, of the ultimate design of our creation, okay? I, am I, I'm hoping I'm right there. But we're not, we're not walking and living in that right now. We look, you know, and just pick up a newspaper, right? But at the, th- the thing to remember is that through the work of the cross, our union with God is so perfect that what we have now with him will be exactly what we have in eternity. You know, when, you know, when the Lord returns and we're all gathered together with him, Christ isn't going to the cross again to, to work up a new union. I mean, we've got the totality of it now. We have the totality of the relationship now. But because of you know, the, the, the behavioral conditioning we've experienced in life, whether we're young or old, there's, there's not a grid for this. There's, there's not an, 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 a, a perspective. And this is something the Lord's been challenging me on. Richard, go ahead. When it comes to eternity, um, <laughs> I often think, God, am, am I going to have to work through my crap through eternity? Or is it going to be when I get there, I'm going to understand who I am and all that other stuff is going to be gone and be flushed out and I can enjoy things that I've never thought were possible to enjoy. And so, uh, you know, we have this journey here on, li- on earth and trying to work through various things, trying to work through marriages, trying to work through relationships. And you think, Lord, you know, it seems like I, I, I gain this ground, but then 
something else happens and it's like I step back 10 steps and I've got to start over in a different way or a different thing or you reveal something that I thought I already took care of years ago and now where is this coming from? So uh, my mind just gets really, uh, I just don't know where to go sometimes when it comes <laughs> to, to thinking about eternity and, and where is that going to lead and so forth. So for me, I have to just Rich, just live day to day and deal with what you have to deal with today and let tomorrow deal with itself. <laughs> okay. But let me ask you this. What if there was a truth or a perspective about who you are in eternity, who you will be in eternity, that is entirely transferable to who you are right now? And what if the truth of that could, be some, could become so great in you that everything else you just talked about would have to be, would ultimately come into the context or the light of that and be transformed from that place? Sometimes I think I get a glimpses of that, uh, just, and usually it's through ministry where uh, you're, you're ministering to someone and just God just starts, I mean, your just, mind just starts flooding over and you're able to uh, speak into people's lives or whatever it may be. And, or even in prayer, you're, you're in prayer and, and uh, it seems like God just envelops you and you just have all this energy and, and love that you didn't know you had. And uh, so there's, there's times when I feel like I get glimpses of that. Uh, type of reality. Sure, right. And what I'm suggesting is that those glimpses can take root in ways that maybe we've never experienced. And they can grow. And they can be transformative. You know, when I uh, I was uh, saved, I guess, my whole understanding now of that process is, is changes. I'm, I'm trying to find new terminology. But when I acknowledged a, a living relationship with the Lord as a young kid, I, I, I laid hold of it and ran with it till my early teens. Then I just went off into the weeds, ran buck wild for about 20 years. And then I, I, I came back into relationship with the Lord, a, a manifest trusting relationship with God. And um, when, I, when I did, I, you know, I brought all my baggage with me. I mean, I brought it all, and there was a lot. I was a, just a, a, a dump truck full of garbage. And I can look at you know, the early 90s when I brought, started bringing this stuff to the Lord as my relationship was renewed in him, and I can look at myself right now, and that, the, the vast, vast majority of that stuff is gone. I mean, it is... It is over the horizon. It is, it is out of sight. I am a different person. I'm a, almost a completely different person. That means there's growth in God. That means growth is always possible. And growth, I believe, you know, we've, um, it is, it's, it's a function of, of revelation. It's a function of truth. See, let me see if I can... Lord, help me here. One of the biggest obstacles, you know, we have to overcome in our growth and maturity in the Lord is the fact that 
probably for most of us, we've, in the course of our lives, we've gone through a religious system. We've been involved in religion. And the problem with man-made religion, just to kind of focus on that for a moment, is that inherently religion took that which was never broken, that which existed in perfect union, which was our relationship with God, it's like religion was a solution looking for a problem. And when it couldn't find the problem, it made one up. And, and it started by declaring that humanity is separated from God and is not in union from God. And therefore, for that to change, humanity has to embrace a religious system. And oh, by the way, we can never quite get you there, but we'll get you close. But you're always going to have to work and at least if you do that, it'll be better than where you're at now. But see, there never was anything to overcome. There never was a problem. The work of the cross was a perfect work. We were and are and always will be in perfect union. But religion came along and said, no, 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 we got to justify the money we're hitting these people up for and the control we're seeking. So... We're going to come up with all kinds of things, rituals and programs and um, doctrinal declarations that people need to follow. Just give me one moment before I completely lose my train of thought. Now, I, I, I was I going to, I know I, I, I want to ex certainly still expressing uh, love and support for our Catholic brothers and sisters. I just want to use a couple, a couple examples, though, because they're just so low-hanging fruit, and it's just, they're just such, um, so, uh, I think, so easily uh, useful in making my point. Think of something like infant baptism. You know, there are people that believe if an infant isn't baptized, they will spend eternity apart from God. Now, that is transactional Christianity at its worst. That is essentially heretical. That's madness to think that somehow the work of the cross is, could, be, could be stunted, you know, God's heart for eternity for humanity could be stunted because, or, 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 or thwarted or derailed because it, for a person because they weren't dunked in water as, as an as a unknowing you know, six-week-old. Or sprinkled, or I, I don't know how they do that. I sprinkled. sprinkled. Yep. All right. Why well, I, I I don't. Okay. I I'm not sure. Okay. So, or you know, last rites. You know, if we don't get this guy last, you know, they're watching the the cardiogram. You know, this guy's gonna spin off into God knows where. You understand? That's ridiculous. That's madness. We are not in a quid pro quo relationship with God. We are not in a performance-based relationship with God. If we, you know, and it's that, it's that mentality, you know, when I came you know, in, back in a relationship with the Lord in the 90s, I'm sorry, because I'll really keep going here. Go, no, go ahead. All no, I was going to say is the comment that that, that happened in the garden. They already had everything. Adam and Eve already had that perf perfect... Union and and we're deceived into believing 
there was something missing, right? Right. That Absolutely. happened from the beginning. It's all I'm saying. Right. But the thing is interesting. Now, you go right back to that story. Okay. So let's take that story. So we, religion tells that story is man fell and God split. That's it. Separation between God and man. We got to get Jesus in here. Oh my gosh. And you know, we got to work up all these programs to, to, to apply what Jesus did. You know, Adam sinned. God showed up at the same time the next day. Adam was hiding. Adam was aware of his sin. And he hid from God. God didn't hide from man. God is never hidden from man. Sin is not kryptonite to God. You know, we just... God, and that's a whole other teaching. But we've got to put sin in its place. Sin is bad. Sin sucks. And sin has consequence, all right? There's no question about it. I mean, sin is taking people's lives every single day. We reap what we sow. That's a kingdom principle. That's just the way it is. But God abolished the strength and the power and the force of sin in our lives 2,000 years ago. You know, I was referencing where I was at 20 years ago when I was coming into a relationship with the Lord, and I was checking all the sin boxes on a pretty much daily basis, okay? Every, just every behavior you could possibly engage in. But I'm not doing that anymore, right? And now I have days where, and I, 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 will, I will say this, and I don't think I'm going to get struck by lightning for saying this, because that's not our God anyway, but I have days where I can go to bed at, you know, where I get through the end of the day and look and go, I, I can't find a single thing I'd repent about or feel bad about. I, I feel like I'm living pretty much a sinless life. If I had a crummy thought come into my mind, I recognized it as a crummy thought, I kicked it out and I went on with my business. That's one of the benefits of being God-minded and union-minded and love-minded and identity-minded is that the the... the enticement, the attraction of sin, it just, it, it fades away, it loses its appeal, it loses its, its ability to operate in our sphere, in, in, the, in the periphery of our daily lives. And after a while, you've gone, you know, a few days or a week, and it's like, man, this is what life is supposed to feel like. You know who has problems with sin? People who are obsessive about sin. You know, the highest rate of pornography use in the country is in the Bible Belt. And what's the predominant religion or, or, or denominations in, in the Bible Belt? Fundamentalism. You know, the bang in the Bible. You know, trying to maintain some kind of righteousness through works and through the law. That's why people go up and give their lives to God every Sunday. Now, how many times do you have to get saved? Excuse me, I got it right the first time. God meant it the first time. Now, if we do screw up, repent. God, I'm sorry. You know, that was really stupid. I feel like an idiot. Thank you for loving me. But I'll tell you something. Even in repentance, repentance ultimately should be a celebration of union. It should be a celebration of the cross. Man, yeah, you feel bad. Tell the Lord you feel bad. But then get excited about the fact that you're washed clean and that he loves you without condition and that your sins have been separated from you as far as the proverbial east from the west, right? I mean, we've really mucked this thing up, and we've complicated this thing in a way that it never needed to be. This thing is... The scandal of the gospel, if there is one, is the simplicity of the gospel. This thing could not be more simple. 
God loves us. He's in us. We're in him. And going back to this idea of eternity and, and kind of looking at our, our uh, immediate lives in the context of that, I challenge everyone here to take a moment and imagine the joy and the connectedness and the peace and the protection and the, the safety and everything that we see in, in eternity and recognize the very thing that we, we have union with there, we have here. Oh, I know the point I was trying to make earlier. We, is everyone familiar with the word anthropomorphize? You know what it means to anthropomorphize? It means to, to place on, on animals or objects or deity human attributes. You know, if you've ever seen me with my dog, I anthropomorphize the tar out of that thing. Um, you know, we, 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 we see and we apply human attributes to things that aren't human. And in our relationship with God, I believe we've done that in the extreme. Now, on one hand, we, we do so entirely accurately because, of course, Jesus, the incarnate one, did become man and continues to be man. He continues to be the son of man on the throne of God. So projecting our humanity on him in that, in that perspective is entirely appropriate. But this is where we mess it up huge. We attribute to God our experiences. What was it? I think Dennis was it? A couple of weeks ago, made the reference of uh, conditional theology, experiential theology. You're referencing that we, our theology is, is we kind of we, we personalize our theology based on our experiences. Well, I prayed and didn't happen, so now this goes into my data bank. You know, um, I wanted, I thought God would do this, and that didn't happen, or. Or it did, but it happened differently. Or you know, we look at the world at large and we, oh, how can this, where is God in, in the sorrow of these, of these starving uh, children or whatever? So we project onto God our experiences. And, and that's how we anthropomorphize God. But here's the deal. Just because we have not spent a lifetime in the continual presence of perfection and just because we haven't been influenced by perfection and just because perfection hasn't been the greatest force of our life, doesn't mean God isn't perfect. Because God is perfect. I know we say God is good, and I, that's great. I say God is good, God is good all the time, right? God is good all the time. Well, he is good all the time. 
And I'm, I'll, I will always say God is good. But, but not to split hairs here, but saying God is good is, it's, it's like saying the surface of the sun is warm. No, the surface of the sun is blistering, raging hot. And yes, God is good, but way beyond good. Because almost when we say God is good, in a sense, we're almost subconsciously like great, putting him on a gradient. No, God, there's no grading God. There's only perfection. There's only perfect love. There's only perfect relationship. There's only, we are only viewed and only in relationship by a perfect God who always 24-7 sees us through that lens. But we struggle to connect with that because we just don't have a grid for that. So even on our best days with God, even when we're having our greatest moments, even when we're flashing over, there's kind of always still, even if we're not recognizing it, and maybe it comes later, but there's a yeah, but. You know, it's, the word says that the blessings of God maketh rich and he adds no sorrow. But in this world, we always believe, yeah, there's going to be a little sorrow, or there's going to be a little catch, or there's going to be a little cost, or there's going to, somewhere a shoe's going to drop. I swear I lived my entire life with the sword of Damocles over my head. I mean, I was convinced I was cursed to some degree. And so when people would tell me about the perfectness or the goodness of God, I would, I would accept it, but only to a limit. Only to a limit. Uh, when I was in Bible school years and years ago, my daughter was very young, um, like three, two, something like that. Um, I got into it with um, one of our teachers because we were in a study and he, uh, we read the verse, you know, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he asked us, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I, I think it says it, so I think we should be. And he said, there's no way you can reach perfection. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, because we sin. You know, we sin every single day. And so I thought about it and I said, well, what if I don't sin for an hour? Am I an hour into perfection? <laughs> and he goes, uh, well, no. And I go, well, I believe that I would be in perfection if I was fully loving, fully, you know, the attributes of God type of thing. And I said, he said, nope, that wouldn't happen. And I said, well, I, I go, I think you're wrong. I said, I have had days where I was not sinning. You know, where I, like you said, you know, you go to bed, you go, wow, I, I don't feel like there's anything I need to change about this day. It's been the perfect day because I've been with the perfect father. And, and it was really interesting because I kind of divided the class on that. And, and, and my t-shirt was like, he goes, there is no way we can reach perfection here on earth. And I thought, then why is that in the Bible? You know, why did... Why was that even said? Be, be ye perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. And so I think our goal is, is you know, we, we've placed perfection as being this thing that we have to behave right and look right and not step out of line and do our jobs to, you know, the, all of that, 
I, I think somehow we've missed perfection. Absolutely. Perfection is love. Perfection is mercy. Perfection is grace. Perfection is kindness, goodness, gentleness. You know, and if we were to walk in those things, we would, we would be, like you said, we would be love on earth. You know, we would be this eternal thing, you know, of, of walking who our Father is here on earth. And so I just, you know, what, the, the thing about, you know, having the eternal inside of us, I think that's where you were going. It's like there are things in heaven that are already established in us that, that will last through eternity. Right. So I like to do this thing on Facebook where I just put out there, you know, the first five people that respond to me, I'm going to pray and ask God for a word for you. And so I get all these responses, and I just go in prayer. But there are things in us like kindness. There are people who are truly, truly kind. And that's where their love comes out of and everything, you know. There are people who really, really walk in joy. And that's where their love comes out of. And so I think there are things in us, if we were willing to ask the Lord, Lord, what, is the, what are the deposits of eternity that you've put in me that are like you? Can I walk those out here on earth? And I, and I think we would just be like so much better at relating who God is to people. Absolutely. Like you did with those four gentlemen. I'll tell you, and this goes to what Richard brought up earlier. Um, and this is where religion has had a horrendous influence on humanity. In God, in Christ, for lack of a better way to say it, we start at the end of the book and then filter everything through it. We start at, it's finished, it's done, and then we process life through it. Religion says, no, it's never done, it's never was finished. You know, it's unbelievable. You talk about the, the freaking stones of religion. Um, Christ cries out, it's finished. And religion says, well, yeah, he did say that, but... You know, and it's not, I mean, I, I you know, I brought up our, our Catholic brothers and sisters, but man, I'll tell you in the charismatic stream, you know, we've got our things. You know, we've turned faith into a religion. You end up to the point where you actually having faith, you have to get faith in your own faith. I mean, we literally are, are judged by our, our capacity for demonstrated faith. Look at fasting. How many books are out there on fasting? And the whole idea behind, you know, the religion idea is, is somehow we've got to move God through this performance of fasting. Like, the word doesn't say all the promises of God and Christ are yes and amen. We're not moving God. Now, fasting, I mean, you know, my life is kind of a, if you saw my diet, it's like an ongoing fast. I just live better that way. But I do that for me, not because I'm trying to impress God. You want to know what impresses God about me? Jesus. Because I'm viewed through the prism and the filter of Jesus who's in me. That's what God's impressed with. So, just to make this point, I'll try it again for the fifth time that Richard kind of addressed, and I'll, I'll shut up and wrap it up. 
we, religion says, do this, do that, perform. God is transactional. Daddy, here's the other problem with, I'm sorry, but I just want to think. Here's the problem with transactional, being transactional with God. How much is enough? How do you ever know? If he's working some sort of cosmic divine logarithm, evaluating our worthiness or, or the, the, uh, the um, approval of answered prayer, how do we ever know to, how to respond to that? Where do we go with that? There's no certainty. So here we are supposed to be in the perfect relationship, and of all the relationships we're in, we're probably more insecure in our relationship with God than with anybody else. Because at least with everybody else, we know what they're about, and we, we don't expect great things from them. We just, we, we, we've got a lot of leeway for people. But now with God, we can't even be secure with him, which is insane because he's the only one who's perfect. So start from perfect union. Start from perfect love. Start from perfect acceptance. And don't try... There's nothing to add to it. I'm all prayer walking last night, and I got in this place of revelation in the Lord of, of what we're talking about, of my union with him, of simply trusting him. And my, now my prayer walks, I've, you know, I've been doing it for decades, have now just basically turned into trust walks. And now my trust walks have basically just turned into, wow, is this true God walks? I mean, I just, you know, I, I'm, it's weird not having like self-appointed assignments just to go, and I'm, I'm walking with him and I'm, I'm recognizing and I'm meditating on, on how much he loves me and he's in union with me. And at one point I had to stop and, and just tell him, I'm not used to perfection you got to go slower with me. This, I'm, I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm like going to fall over into the shrubs here. You know, we say if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Here's the deal. Start from the fact it's beyond all our understanding of how good it can be, and that's the truth, and then sort it out from there. Then sort it out from there. And I'll tell you, if we get to that place, then all hell can break loose. I mean, it can just be a crap storm. But even those will be seen in the context of a much greater picture. And it'll be impossible to be moved. A couple months ago, I swear, this is the last thing I'll be done in 60 seconds. Um, a couple months ago, I was... Uh, prayer walking over at uh, Ute Park and, and I, oh, I may have shared a little of this but I came around this corner and there was Jesus and it wasn't like just a full open vision but I mean I could see him and it just everything just like everything else just went away all everything went away I just stood there he just stood there and he didn't say anything. I, didn't, I was just standing there. And all of a sudden, and I, I could just see his eyes. And I just, he conveyed to me through looking at me. I'm not sure, I'll try and explain this, but he just, 
Basically, what he was conveying to me was, I've got this. I've got everything. Oh, I know what it was. I was kind of, I'd been walking and just things in the, our country and the world at large starting to distress me a bit. And I was like, Lord, this, this whole planet is a mess. It's just a mess. And anyway, I, I, that's kind of had been in my mind. I came around the corner and, and he just, and it just seemed, and then and that was it. And he just, he just disappeared and I walked away. I'm just all blah, you know, as you can imagine. But later I recognized that the, the only way I could put it in context was this world is like a couple of four-year-olds in a sandbox. And they're yelling and screaming and they're throwing stuff and you look out the window and it's like, oh my gosh, you know. They're just, they're just running wild out there. But the reality is at any time, a parent could walk over to that and straighten that out in two seconds. Just like that. Just like that. And I realized that, you know, the greatness of our God, the, you know, just the, just the infinite, overreaching, incomprehensible greatness of our God and the perfection that it reveals, that brings context to every part of our life. And so, yes, we can say that our identity is found in him because we were created in his image. And we are love. And we are going to express that love in relationship forever and ever. And I know for all the workaholics out there and all the people who have a hard time with intimacy, so they go look for a project because they're too afraid to be vulnerable, well, we'll have to get over it like we all will. Because really, life is just going to be about knowing the blessing and the joy of unceasing, intimate, perfect, loving relationship. And that is our true identity. So glory to God. Thanks, everyone. That's me. Praise God. Great message. Really good message. Uh, you know, I think about uh, what Paul was uh, teaching us today, and it's really a follow-up to what Larry's already been teaching on, and it's God's love. You know, Megan and I were also, like Vicki, and several of the others were brought up Catholic, so we could relate to the religious part. And I look at the religious thing is all about the fact that we feel like we need to make these little sacrifices all the time to get closer to him. If I sacrifice and I go to confession, if, you know, if I help somebody, it works. Whatever it happens to be, if I fast, these are all things that I can do to have relationship with him so that he'll love me more. You know, and now we can put all that aside, you know. God just, you know, he, every once in a while in my life, he just gives me a scripture that says it all for me. And, and it is these days, John 14, 20, that now I am in my Father, you are in me, and I'm in you. And that says it all, you know. He inhabits a place of his creation, and he's happy to do so. So it's not all about works. It's not all about our sacrifice. It's about his sacrifice. And so I thank you for that message. It was really good, Paul. Thanks.
And for all the Zoomers, I hope you enjoyed what you heard today, too. And thanks for your input there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, just to remind everybody, too, that we are going to have an Ascension meeting. This is our way to get a little bit of heaven on earth here in our experience of knowing more of him. So we will have an Ascension meeting here at uh, 12 o'clock. They usually run for about an hour till maybe about 1 o'clock. And uh, I welcome you all, including Zoomers, uh, to stick around and uh, experience God here on earth in, in a special way. You know, uh, sometimes we, we need our escapes uh, from earth sometimes, and that's a way for us to grow closer to him and see him. You know, I said, you know, now we don't have to die to see what's going on in heaven. We just experience him. And I know that Meg and I, in our quest is, or our vision is, that at one day we'll have one foot in the heaven and one foot on earth, and it won't seem so distinct. <laughs> so, praise God. Well, thank you all. Uh, be blessed. Have a blessed week. And uh, again, thank you, Paul, for the message. In Jesus' name.